Listener Production. Where should we go to with this? The type of underwear I walk around in? Like, where are we going to on Spicy here, eh? Now, because we had such an overwhelming response from you to our recent episode with Brian Brown, we have invited the amazing man back into the studio to celebrate his new book, The Drowning, and to answer your big questions in this very special Q&A episode with our favourite, lovable Aussie icon. Brian Brown can deliver a line as good as any actor in the world. I congratulate Brian Brown. Brian Brown is unapologetically Brian Brown, and how good is that? When you think of Brian Brown, you think of the quintessential Aussie bloke. Please welcome Brian Brown. From Cocktail to Dirty Deeds and along came Polly actor Brian Brown. He's one of our greatest. It is a man who wears many hats in Dirty Deeds, actor, producer, Brian Brown. His name is Brian Brown from Cocktail, Gorillas in the Mist, Two Hands, FX, Breaker Morant. Brian Brown, welcome, mate. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Brown. Now, Brian, of course, you've had many Hollywood roles. We know that you starred with Tom Cruise in Cocktail. We've got Kirsty on the phone, and she wants to ask you a question. What do you want, Kirsty? Oh, hi, Brian. Um, I have to confess I'm a 50-year-old married woman, and I have asked permission for my husband to ask this question. But it is very important to ask you whether you have always known that you have more sex appeal than Tom Cruise. Yeah, I've always known. For a moment, I stood alongside him. I knew, you know, and I, I felt sorry for Tom. He was a good bloke. He lived up to it. He realised, you know, he just had to wear it. And so we got along really good. You cope with that the whole yeah. way through the Well, film. I can cope with people saying this any day of the week, okay? And what about Sam Neill? Who's got the more sex appeal? Well, he's just jealous, that's all. Always has been. But, Kirsty, it's pretty special, isn't it, being able to talk to Brian? Because I'm sort of with you. I think women of a certain age, we find Brian incredibly appealing, don't we? Oh, definitely. It's just not the looks, it's just the overall package. Can we just leave this whole conversation at this now and I leave the studio because it can't get better than this, right? Definitely. I've filled your bucket today. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good enough. Two really good comments like that and... I won't get my head out the door. My head won't get out of the door. And we got a snort from Jess, so that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kirsty, thanks so much for that question. As well, you know what, I do also have to add, and I've mentioned this to Brian previously, it's his voice as well that I think is really quite special. Definitely. Any podcast I'll just listen to through his voice, for sure. He could read the phone book. This is very funny. (laughs) You could do an audio version, of course, I hope, of The Drowning, your amazing new novel. I have done the voice (gasps) for that. Yeah, I've done the audio on that. Yeah, yeah. Buy the book as well, though. Then I get it two ways. Excellent. I'll do that. Oh, Kirsty, thank you so much for calling. And I know you're rushing away now to buy Brian's book, The Drowning, and also to download his (laughs) audio version. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kirsty. My pleasure. Have a great day, both of you. Good on you. We got plenty more questions coming your way. Okay. I'm going to read this to you because it came via DM to me on Instagram from Red Shoes. And she asks, in which ways has life surprised you the most? That's a pretty good question and not an easy one. Wow. Well, I suppose, I was going to say how important family is. But I sort of knew that anyway growing up 
in a small family with my mother and my sister. So, but I took that for granted because I was a young, smartass. But I think probably as an older person looking back at it, just a few things. One is the demands on you, which is really good because you just got to get on with it. So, you know, like I quite like, you know, being demanded of means you're busy on whatever. You know, this word called love that's used around in all sorts of ways. But like, you know how I remember Rachel, my wife, saying to me just after my first daughter Rosie was born, she said, I've never met anyone that I die for that I've only known for 24 hours. And I sort of thought that's a pretty good statement about uh, what it means, you know, to once you start having a family. Um, and I think that's a surprise how it's one of those things that you can't actually give words to. It's like, you know, it's unbelievably important to you, but, you know, it, it's wrapped up in so many other things like how bloody annoying they all are and things like that, you know. Because family can be annoying, but as you mentioned, the love at the heart of that. And I remember when I interviewed Rachel, she was on the podcast earlier in the year, and she spoke about when she met you, she was really struck by your moral compass and how much those things mattered to you. And that was in a way what helped her fall in love with you. I think it was his, the surety of his values. He was about 35, I was 25, he very much knew who he was. He'd grown up as a Catholic, so he had very clear values about right and wrong. And I think coming from a world that had very ambiguous values, contradictory values, I went from being part of that world, that very privileged world in England, to Hollywood. Look, he's a good egg, you know, he's a bloody good egg and he's uh, loyal and got, you know, great values and uh, he still loves me and what more could I ask, you know, really? And he's a decent fella and he loves me, full stop. You know, oh. what are you going to exchange that for, you know? I think it was how I looked and my <laughs> figure. <laughs> well, we know, of course, that played a part. No, but look, we did have very different backgrounds and, you know, she did have a nanny and things like that. So the, the relationship to parents wasn't as strong as what my relationship was, you know, like it was obvious to me, like my mother had to do everything. She was the man, the woman, she was everything. That's a very, very different understanding and um, an knowledge you get there that, that perhaps Rachel didn't have the same way, you know. Now, we have a question here from Alison from Orange, and she also wrote this via Insta. Your new book is on my Christmas wish list, and that, of course, is called The Drowning. I can't wait to read it. Do you have a special place to write? And how long did it take you to write this book? Right. Well, <clears throat> I guess I do have a special place to write. I have an office in my house that I don't spend a lot of time in. But uh, I found that when I would think, oh, I'm going to go and do, I've got an idea where I want the story to go now, and I'd go up and I'd start, I would write for about an hour, an hour and a half. I, I could never write for much more than an hour and a half. If I realised I'd done about 500 words, I'd go, no, mate, you've got to do a bit more than that. And, you know, and I'd, I'd get up to 750 or 800. But usually I'd come to the end of something and I'd go, I don't know where I want to go now. I don't know where these characters want to take me now. So let's give it a break. And so sometimes I wouldn't go back then for another couple of days. Sometimes I would do two or three days in a row. And it took probably, doing it that way took about four or five months. But I, I, I find it easier to actually go and sit down in front of my computer in my office and do it. 
I go away a lot and stuff and I go, oh, while I'm away, I'll, I'll do that. Never did. Didn't have the same attention. Did you find, though, when you were away, though you'd be thinking about the characters, that there'd be moments when you'd think, oh, yes, that's what I can see that person doing or moments of the story that would come to you or would you have to be in your writing place for that to happen? No, I think there are moments where something comes, but I don't think you're necessarily wandering around going, I wonder if it's just suddenly, you know, you can be eating an ice cream or something and you go, oh my God, what if so-and-so did that? And you go, better get back home and uh, start on this because I think it could lead me somewhere good. Yeah. I didn't spend time going, oh, what's going to happen with this? What's, what, what should I do with that? I knew it would either come or not. And if it didn't come, I didn't have a book. I suppose because of your worldly experience that you were able to kind of let that go in a way. And because you could, it meant you could keep writing. Look, I think there's a couple of things that go in here. One is I'm not a new young writer looking for a career, right? I'm a bloke that's been a storyteller through film and television for 50 years. And there's a new platform that I'm being l- lucky enough to, to play with. I don't know how many stories I might have me in that platform. I know that I've got stories that I've got to do on the other platform next year. Um, so I, I'm not reliant on that in making a career for me, in making the way I earn my money during my life. That's way past. So it is actually very enjoyable. There's no pressure on this thing. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it's lousy, it's lousy. So what? But it's very enjoyable going, I own these characters. I own this story. Let's see where you can take them, mate. And it's freeing. As you say, I think when we don't have that pressure, that sense of expectation, you're able to let your imagination just take you wherever it does. Yeah, the, the, the thing itself really is just enjoyable and frustrating and all the rest of it that you do. And like, and you can't remember the word for that thing that they have on a wall that's got glass. Oh, window. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> um, you know frustration <laughs> like that. Now, we have another question for you here. Brian, and uh, from one of my favourite people. Have a listen. Hello, Brian. It's Denise Drysdale here. I know that you and Sam Neill celebrate your birthdays every year and you've had some big ones, uh, like 50, 60, 70, may I say. I wondered what's the funniest thing that has happened during one of those parties with Sam and yourself? Well, it's very hard to answer that, Denise, because neither of us were particularly sober during any of those events. They are very big rock and roll parties, i got to say. Uh, there are many funny things. Probably some of the really funny, outrageous things is there's not a bloody chance in the world I'm going to tell you about. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> no, no. Uh, however... Give uh, our listeners a little well, taste uh, for what those sort of parties must look like. I mean, well, we'd all well, love to well, be invited. Well, 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 well I, do, I do remember that the last, the, the 70th party was... Have you heard of Michael Chug, the, the big... Oh, of uh, course. ...brings in uh, the Stones, everyone like that and whatever. So Chuggy's at the party and one of um, a group called Lime Cordial's playing here, uh, young mates that have grown up alongside my family and whatever, and they're playing... <laughs> And Chuggy and I decided it was time for us to dance together. Now, some people might have found that rather funny, but by Christ, we were good. (laughs) I reckon you would have been. We spoke earlier about freeing, that when pressure disappears, when you get to that age where you really don't care, you want to have a good time, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, does it? No, who gives us stuff? That's what I love about getting older. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, look, sure, you've got things that are 
that are serious to you that you you got to do well or that's important. You, you give it your best and everything. But um, the big thing is don't take yourself seriously. But take the things around you serious. You know. Yes, that's so true. I'm such a believer in that. You have to be able to laugh at yourself. Another question... You may as well, because everyone else is laughing at you. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> I have another question that came to me via my DMs in Insta, and it's Lee from Cranebourne in West Victoria. Her question is, Brian, what role would you have liked to have played as a young actor? And then in the future, what role would you like to play? Once again, they're difficult questions, those questions, because, like, I only wanted one thing when I turned 25. I wanted to be an actor. So what sort of actor, where it led me to was never an ambition. The ambition was like, I've come across this thing, I felt really comfortable and liked being in it, and that, and I think it's about being able to express yourself. That's why I needed to be there. And once I became an actor... It was like, great, you know, someone's paying me to do this thing. Then, you know, it led me to lots of places and things like that, whether it be the, the jungles of Rwanda with the, uh, with the gorillas or China for four months or the back of India, all those sort of places, those things. But so it was very hard to ever go, um, I wanted to play that. I think the thing, what I would say is when you start getting your first jobs and you're a support, you want to play a lead. You want to see if you can be the lead and hold it together and, it, and it'll work. So rather than was there anything I would have run to, yes, I was looking forward to the chance where I was going to be given a lead in a movie or, or television sitting and have to uh, see whether I could hold it or not. So to be was, the main man. Yeah. And, and I think the first time that really, really happened was with a miniseries called A Town Like Alice where I was given the, the, the play opposite Helen Morse in a very, very good story. And it was like, was going to fall apart if we were if we weren't any good, yeah. And I mean, it didn't. It's a legendary piece, mm, fabulous of, piece. Oh, of Australian entertainment. What about in the future? What is there a role that you'd be thinking? I want to be playing this now. No, but there is. What well, look as I get older, what I'm very interested in is is representing my age. I know the things that men and women at my age carry. No, no one's free of anything. That's why, in fact, Rachel and I made Palm Beach, a film about uh, four years ago that we put out, uh, because we'd had a holiday in Hay on Wye in Wales. There was myself and Rachel, another mate who and his wife, fabulous pair, but he, and he was a brilliant writer, a director in England, but he was an alcoholic. And then another mate of mine who was of Italian lives in, in England. He'd been very successful in business and he just sold it. And his wife said he's walking around bumping into walls. And I'd just been through a period of anxiety that I knew nothing about. And I'd been to see a psychologist trying to work out what was wrong with me. So we all had this wonderful Christmas together. But I came back on the flight home. I said to Rachel, have a look at that. There's three blokes that other people would say are successful in some way or whatever. I said, and we're all going through things. I said, if that's happening to us, it's happening to loads of blokes all over the place. Let's tell a story about this. So in other words, it's like, I just want to tell stories, continue to tell stories that are about our condition, about who we are, and wrap them up in some sort of character that might be interesting to be, you know. And also, it's that human condition, I think, those universal themes that all of us go through at different moments in our lives, regardless of where we live, where we come from, how much money we have. It's those 
longings inside of us or sense of loss or failure well, or I think whatever. It, I think it, once again, it all comes, you get more aware of family. You might have, I mean, I've got a number of friends who are dealing with their parents who are um, dementia or whatever, you know, like, and they're dealing with that. And there's others that are dealing with things with their children. You're never not dealing with, with something. Anybody that thinks someone's walking around scot-free, they're living in a, you know, the wrong world. People are dealing with stuff. And some of that stuff is, is hard to deal with. But the other side of it is, is we can deal with things. With help with other people, we can get through things. We can still look for the joy of, because we've only got so many bloody days to live, so we better make sure there's a fair bit of joy in there. We, we can have that through the struggle. I'm such a believer in that as well, searching for the joy, those glimmers, those things that matter. What about regret? Are there any regrets of roles that you've turned down that you think, oh, I wish I'd done that? No. No, there's not. Because I always knew why I turned something down. You know, uh, yeah, I always knew why I turned something down. And sometimes uh, someone else would do it and it was, was really popular and they were popular. So, but, but I knew why I turned it down. As long as you take ownership of all the decisions you make, there's no such thing as regret. You know, it's just your choice. No envy or jealousy, that moments when you might see someone and think, oh, that could have been. I'm not like Sam, how he looks at me. (laughs) Sam, Neil, the two of you, you have this sort of bromance, don't you? (laughs) We know each other very well. (laughs) Now, I think what we're going to do now is we're going to head back to the phone. Now, this is Robin from Toowoomba. Oh, is that Robin? Hi, how are you going? Hi, it's Brian. How are you going? Um, really nervous, but really good. I'm the one that's nervous. I've never talked to you before. <laughs> Why are you nervous? I've never Sorry? talked to you before. I've never talked to you before. <laughs> well, there you go. We're on the same footing, aren't we? <laughs> we are. Now, Robin, you have a question. It's Jesse. You've got a question for hey, Brian. Jess. I love you, Jess. Oh, I love you too. I love your podcast. Oh, thanks for being a beautiful <laughs> listener and part of our community. Now, I know the Love Fest, thank you for the Love Fest, but we're directing it Brian's way. You've got a question for him. I have, I have. It's a bit personal, but I'll ask it anyway. How do you get better and better looking as you get older? Or is it that I'm getting older too? I love your <laughs> wife. She's gorgeous. But you were just age-defying, and it amazes me. <laughs> uh, now, I think we should talk more often, Robin, quite truthfully. I think we should too. <laughs> I think you're obviously a very intelligent lady, um, very, I, per- I am, very yep. perceptive. Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, pretty good-looking uh, too. And beautiful, I would have said. Um <laughs> I think there are a few people that may slightly disagree with you. However, I do appreciate the fact that uh, you think I haven't completely fallen apart yet. Oh, definitely not. Like I said, better as you've gotten older. Well, I think that's what we... What's that thing about, like, what is that? There's some expression about getting better as you go. What is that? Well, isn't it like wine? Do we age? Uh, yes. Like, is yeah. that it? So, something like that, yeah. It gets better as it ages. We get better ages, with yeah. age. We get better with age. So, um, Your brain's still like 19, but your body's like mine's 59. I think we should just hold on to the lies that we've told ourselves, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of those. <laughs> there is. Now, Robin, how special is it, hey, being able to talk to Brian? My heart's going 100 miles an hour. 
I'll, you, know, you be careful. I do not need to have someone die on air talking to me. For God's sake, be careful, girl. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to hear your beautiful voice. And thank you for asking Brian that question. And I Thank you, Jeff. And I know, of course, Brian's got a fantastic new novel, The Drowning. It's a thriller and it is dark, but it's a really great read. And he's got an audio version too. That sounds great. Do you read it out or yep, does somebody yep. else read it out? They said I had to read it, yeah. See, I can listen to your voice then. So. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you want? Robin, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Good on you, Robin. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Brian. Lovely to talk to you. You too. See ya. Thanks, Jess. Bye. Bye, lovely. Oh, Robin, see, you awaken that in us, Brian. That sort of... <laughs> you do. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Now, for something a little different, we'll change the tone a little bit. Yeah. This is Karen from Caringbar, and she's asking, are you loving being a grandfather? Yeah, it's a very, very good question, Karen, because when my first grandkid was coming along, Zan, and he's about four and a half now, everyone around me was saying, oh, you're going to love this, you're going to love being a grandfather, you know, like, and all that. And I was like, and I was very wary. I said, look, you know, like, lay off. Let me work out what this is about. Because what people didn't realise was I never knew grandparents on either side, so I knew nothing about the relationship between a kid and the grandparents. I came from a very small family of just three of us, my sister, my mother and myself. So everything was small. There was no outer reach there. So I didn't know what this relationship was at all. So I had to find out. And the only way I was going to find out was when Zan was born and, you know, what I felt about it. Well, of course, as soon as he's born, you go around going goo, goo, gaga, and, you know, everything's fine. You can't help but want to cuddle them. And, you know, like, and each year as they're growing up, they, they you know, realise they're such funny little buggers, you know, and you love seeing them. So it's, uh, I enjoy it enormously, but I'm glad I had to find out in my own way. Yeah. That's, I think, a very good lesson for people to hear that there isn't a one-size-fits-all way of either being a parent or a grandparent. We have to muddle our own way through, don't we? I mean, I'm one of those people, unless I hit the wall, I don't understand what's going on. I've got to experience to really get knowledge. You know, I can read a book about something and how it should be and all that, but unless I experience it, it means bugger all. That's the only way I learn. And now you've learned to be a beautiful grandfather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, having a lot of fun. They make me laugh. And laughter is the key. Now, we have a question from our wonderful producer, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, Brian. So you exude confidence to me, like you've got this, like in the best possible way. There's a bit of a swagger about you. But I'm really curious to know, do you ever experience imposter syndrome or do you ever feel insecure? No. <laughs> <laughs> Never. You know, I feel vulnerable. You know, like, but I don't. I don't feel insecure. I mean, I mean, there's only one thing that can, only one person that can answer my problems, and that's me. So I have a confidence that I will attempt to deal with this. If I fail, I fail. It's up to me to deal with whatever the the thing is. So I, and I look, I was a bit a bit lucky. You know, I was good at school. I had mates, I played footy, my mother made sure I had a wonderful life. I played in the swamps, I played in the streets. I had all those things that made me feel good. And, you know, like, in other words, I won a number of things, you know. I didn't win everything, but I won a number of things. I, I felt, oh, you're capable. I grew up sort of understanding I was capable. 
And so I've always just um, taken that into things like, oh, well, let's see if I can make this work out or deal with it. And if I don't, well, if I don't, I don't, you know. So, so does that rubbish help? Well, I think what I find interesting about that is that it strikes me that you haven't had those moments of feeling insecure. And with a number of creative people that I've interviewed over time, often that insecurity is there because you're always sort of testing yourself and then you're rejected from a role or a job and then you put yourself out there again. So there can be that questioning, but would it be correct to say you haven't had that? I think there's a couple of things that might come in. The the game I'm in is rejection. You know, you walk in, that's part of the game. But I had a really, uh, one of those lucky things that happened to me, you know, when I was a young bloke, before I became an actor, I was a salesman at the AMP selling life insurance, right? I was a salesman. I'm a salesman now. When I do a character on screen, it better be one that they believe in. But one of the things I was told there was when I was a salesman, they said, okay, now you've got to see so many people in, in a week. You've got to see 10 people. In, you have to see about 10 people to get the sales that you want. To get those 10 people, you have to ring 100 people to get those 10 people to say, yeah. Now, in those 10 people that I'm going to see, I need two of them to buy a policy and I'm okay. Now, I don't know which two they are. So... I was taught, like, when someone says no, go, you beauty. I got that no out of the road. I'm getting closer to the yes. So you keep going. My em- goodness. Embrace, embrace the no because you know the yes is down there. So embrace the no. And I've told my kids that one all the time. Like, no is just a no getting you to where you want to be, where the yes will be. Don't expect the yes to come immediately or in two or three. And sometimes it might come number one. But... It's part, no's part of getting yes. And so... And don't give up. And I learned that from being a salesman, you know. It's statistical, you know. And um, I have had my daughter say to me a few times, Matilda going, oh, for God's sake, Dad, when is the yes coming? Don't worry, (laughs) darling, keep going through the no's. Okay, listeners, so we're all going to be looking out for that yes. If you're in a bit of a... Embrace the no. Okay. Embrace the no. Brian told me. Embrace the knowing, then the yes will come. Yeah, love it. More amazing advice. You're like our agony uncle, Brian. Oh, that'd be a good show, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be oh, with right. you. <laughs> oh, God, you could have some fun with that. <laughs> Now, we have Siobhan on the phone. Brian Brown, Siobhan, how are you? Oh, good. How are you? I'm very good. You're going to ask me a question, are you? I am going to ask you a question, if that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. What is it? We all know you so well as an actor, but you're writing books and exploring this incredible creative space, a different creative space, and I'm just wondering... Given most Australians know you as an actor for all of our lives and all of your life mostly, if you had to choose now how you would spend the rest of your days, would it be writing or acting? Well, the truth is, as soon as I say action on the set, I'm in playtime. I love it. Mm -hmm. I haven't got a clue what I'm going to do usually. But when they say action, a character's got to arrive in the story. And I love that. I love that moment of play. I, I find it playtime. And so I would never, you know, one day that's going to stop, you know. They're either going to get sick of asking me to do things or um, whatever. Everything comes to an end. 
But um, I do enjoy being able to to act. The the release or the, the the need to express myself that I found when I was 25, and it's been the certain characters I've played that I've loved playing, um, and I wouldn't want to miss out on that. You know, um, the difference mm. with the writing is that. I get to own the whole story and the whole all the characters, and that's new. I'm not a, I'm not a twenty year old discovering that. Going, this is what I want to do for always. I know I've got a limited period on this. I've I've written my first book at seventy four, and this is my second book at seventy six. You know, I mean, there's not a lot more books in me. However, <laughs> it's a, it, it also is its funny sort of playtime. You know, when I sit mm. down and go, okay, where are we going, fellas? Where are we going, girls? What's going on now? And they'll take me somewhere, and you know. I can uh, enjoy that too, yeah. So we might see you again on the screen. Oh, yeah, you'll see me again on the screen. I've got a The Boy Who Swallowed the Universe, Trent Dalton's book, uh, which we <gasps> did for Netflix. That comes out in January, and I um, I play a character called Slim, Slim Halliday in that, and uh, that's very enjoyable. And then there's a big um, American rom-com with Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell coming out called Anyone But You, and I play a bit of a deal in that, so uh, that's fun. <laughs> He's with all of the movers and shakers, isn't he, Siobhan? <laughs> well, when he said Trent Dalton, I was like, oh, my goodness. That yes. That so exciting as a writer to he is, he's great. be acting. In. Anyway, so keep an eye out for those. Oh, I definitely will, and the books. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, the wonderful The Drowning, which is a chilling read, Brian. Very dark things in there, but quite a story. Thanks I, so I, much, Siobhan. I'll bet you there's some no areas in there where you are giggling. Well, yes, yes. And, but also, too, with the way you write, it shouldn't surprise me, but just your vernacular, the Aussie laconic way is just throughout it in your narrative. Yeah, yeah. I'm unaware of that because I'm just telling a story, but, you know, I sort of get what you mean. Yeah. I can hear your voice. I, <laughs> yeah, people I can tell me that. hear your voice throughout it. Let's talk about the story itself. It's an Aussie thriller it's dark, Brian. Like when I was reading it, I was thinking, oh my goodness, where does that come from within you? There's some really confronting things that you cover in this novel. <laughs> there are. Where does that come I know. from? I was, I was up at an area that I surf in up the coast. Like after I did Sweet Jimmy, I'm, I'm walking along with my board about to go into the water. Another bloke that I surf with I was coming towards me. He just looks at me and he goes, I've got Sweet Jimmy. I went, oh, good. Yeah, how are you enjoying? He says, you've got some dark stuff in you. Yes. <laughs> and I went, really? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it's a very good question. You know, it's not how I live or anything, but I guess I've got, <laughs> I've got an imagination about how whatever you can think of, you know's happened. Uh, you know, when you read the papers, you look at the uh, through the years, you know, you go, I cannot believe that someone's done that to someone or whatever. So it's pretty hard to come up with anything that hasn't actually happened. But um, I, I think if I'm going to write a book on crime, I want to take people to a thing where they're tense and like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? I want to take them there so that when I take them through the story, there's moments where they go, and I also want the people to be very real. I want these characters, some of these characters are dark characters, but I want them to be real. I want them to some sort of understanding of why they're dark. 
Well, they're flawed. And I think that very much comes through in your writing. And you also grab people. Like in the first few pages, I'm thinking, oh, dear, <laughs> this is, oh, no, what's happened? I know. I've, oh. I've had that said. It's rather oh. arresting at the end of the first three pages. Oh, yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, congratulations, because, of course, this is your first novel, Sweet Jimmy, was a collection of, of crime stories. And in terms of grab this book if you want to be on the edge of your seat and look, I suppose, at the how the other side or the darker side live. Yeah, well, the darkness is amongst a community that's light. You know, it's a surfing community, it's a coastal community, and there's joy and fun and um, problems in normal life, secrets to be told there. Then there's the interweaving of these dark crimes that have happened in their community. They're nothing to do with. So it's, it's about getting that balance right. But I just like talking about or writing about people. Yeah, I think the strength of our humanity is that we've got failings. You know, we're trying to fix something up all the time. And that's what makes us, I think, relate to one another, that, that we realise we're not perfect. We're all flawed. We're all vulnerable. And, and yeah. all of us have something. We come with some yeah. level of baggage, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and some of the baggage that people have got to carry is tremendously hard and tough to get through. And, you know, you, you, you feel for those people. Um, you know, I didn't have a hard time growing up at all. My mother did. I realised later, single parent mother, no family, no brothers and sisters, her parents had died early, left by my father with two little children. She just did what she had to do. So I never saw the difficulty. But I sometimes think how, and, and I've talked to my daughters about it, and they, I go, they go, how did she do it, Dad? I have no idea. Just went, I've got to do it. Incredible strength of character, mm, your mum. yeah. yeah. And also, I think whenever I travel now to a coastal town, I'm not going to look at it the same way. <laughs> After reading The Drowning, I'll be thinking, what is going on here? I haven't been back to my favourite little area since the book came out, so I'm really interested in wandering in there next week. And seeing what they say. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a good question that's come from Patricia in Yarraville. What has been the favourite decade of your life? Wow. Wow. Well, I think I'd have to say the 80s. I mean, it's a very unfair question, this, you know, because um, someone will be involved in like the 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, or whatever. And say, what Seven, about me? What about me? You know, like, you know, like. So why and the I 80s? go to the 80s and then, you know, it's almost like my mother, she died in 88. And, you know, that, that's the most powerful thing in my life. But, um, well, the 80s, because on a number of fronts, one, as an actor, I had some breakthrough pieces that gave me opportunities to do things all over the world. Two, I met Rachel, who, on one of those things, who we fell in love and married. So that was a big deal. And also in the 80s, I had two children. My first two daughters were born there. So that's a pretty big 10-year period. That's a lot you know, going on. That's a on. fair bit, yeah, yeah. So I'd have to give it a big tick. And I think that's fair enough. Now, we have another caller. Simone from the Blue Mountains has a question for you, Brian. Oh, Simone, it's Brian Brown here. Uh, I hear you've got a question for me. I do, Brian. We've got something in common because you've been married to a beautiful woman for 40 years. Yeah. I've been married to a beautiful woman for 18 years. And what I want to know from you is how do you still keep things spicy? Look, you wouldn't believe the number of times I've been asked a question like this. Let's get away from all of the romantic, what's her name is like, let's go through a fair bit of hard work 
Okay. I hear you. You have to deal with lots of things that aren't just you but are them as well. And either this is important enough to deal with it or it isn't. So outside of all the other stuff that comes into it, the fun, the relationship, the the attraction, all those things, you got to be prepared to put in a damn bit of work. And I think that's a part of it, big part of it. That's your secret to a happy marriage then? Work hard at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing good comes easy. I mean, yes, it is hard work, but I still, I don't think Brian's quite answered what keeps it spicy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want something like alcohol or drugs? <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you want? Like, where should we go to with this? No, um, we're not endorsing the, the, any the type, of that. Type, but... The type of underwear I walk around in, like, where are we going to on spicy here, eh? Well, I suppose, well, maybe not as, <laughs> you know, we don't need the, those sort of details. Oh, you wanted but... to know what movies we watch together. <laughs> No, I don't know if we want to know that, Simone, but it's more, I do think when you get to a particular age and when you have been together for a long time, often the routine and the sort of mundane things can take over. Yeah. Family, extended yeah, 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 family yeah. stress. Yeah. How do you Well, keep... I think you've got, to find, you've got to find things to laugh at. Keep looking for the humour. Watch Bridesmaids together every now and again. <laughs> so true. Look for places to laugh, Okay. <laughs> And from the sounds of you, Simone, I reckon you'd love a good laugh. I love a good laugh. And my partner's very happy because I am the funny one. Like you, Brian. Yeah, someone's got to be the funny one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. I'm the funny one too right. with Petey. Petey's more serious. <laughs> yeah. I'm the funny one. Yeah. Let's keep the, you know, yeah. Yeah. the laughs and the laughs. Keep the laughs going. Yeah. Laughs are spice. There we go. We've heard again from our agony uncle here that laugh is the spice. <laughs> Simone, thank you so much for your question. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Our very final question is, again, from Insta from Donna, who's in Geelong. And she says, and we spoke about this before we came in to record, Brian, but she's also interested. I can't find you on social media, Brian. Why is that? Uh, The reason is because I'm not on it. I'm not on any social media. Because I've never found a reason to be on it. You know, like, first of all, if I'm on social media, I'm supposed to say things. Well, or put something up there. I, I don't have anything to say. You know, like... Oh, yes, you do. They, what have we just been talking about? Well, You've had a hell of a lot to say. Yeah, and which is delightful for an hour. But, like, I don't want to go and, on social media and say, this is my opinion on how the world should work or why that person did that. That's their business, why they made a fool of themselves. I don't have to tell them they made a fool of themselves. Also, I probably, as a, you know, as a totally selfish thing, I don't want to be up there so that I look at it and find there's 500,000 people who hate me. So, you know, like, what's the point of that? So I'm not on social media because it doesn't deliver anything to me. To keep up with the world, I'm, you know, I watch the different news shows I want to do or read the magazines or the papers that I need to know. Um, you know, I enjoy going up to my area where I live, having a coffee, wandering past, talking to different people, sitting down, observing. You know, that's my education. And I prefer that than looking at a screen or something like that to learn about life. Brian, You continue to teach all of us so much about life. Thank you for answering so many of our listeners' questions to just being a wonderful agony uncle. And (laughs) and I'm going to remember, embrace the no. Embrace the no. Embrace the no. And of course as well, if you are looking for a wonderful read, check out Brian's novel, The Drowning. It is an Aussie crime thriller. There's also the audio book, which Brian has done, which is available. It's lovely to have you again, Brian. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here, Jess. Thank you. 
The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.